Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next Chaos Crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, it's Dr. Colleen, and life is moving on and in different ways for many of us. And when you listen to the my closing of the show, you'll understand where I'm coming from. And today's topic actually addresses how someone adjusts and moves forward in their life in light of someone that they love dying. I have two guests with me today. Shelly Buck is a wife and mother of three sons. Her family thought they were handling the unthinkable when her oldest son, Ryder, was diagnosed with testicular cancer at age 22. The cancer, though, didn't turn out to be terrible. In fact, he had surgery quickly, and with his course of treatment, he was declared cancer-free in less than a year. Everyone thought they had survived the worst that life could bring them at that point. But unfortunately, Ryder was actually killed in a roadside accident just a few months later. A true tragedy that, of course, lives on in her life and her family. My other guest is Kathy Curtis. Kathy is a grief coach and energy healer. She's been writing books, teaching healing through creativity, and helping others for decades. She also happens to be Shelley's best friend from childhood. And even though their lives took them to different places across the country where they lived, their friendship continued. Shelley and Kathy came together along with writer's journal entries and input from his friends and loved ones to write the book, Leave Your Light On, the musical mantra left behind by an illuminating spirit. They both join me today to talk of Shelley and her family's personal journey through Ryder's life and death, and also to help understand the grieving process just a little more. It was my honor to give them a place to share the story. Did you know that each time you enter Amazon to shop and you go in through my storefront at amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen, a small portion of everything you purchase for 24 hours goes to help support the cost of running this podcast. So go ahead, try it out. And while you're there, you'll also find some of my favorite self-care items along with the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf where you'll find the books for every guest we've had along the way. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Kathy Curtis and Shelly Buck, thank you so much for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. You're very welcome. This book tells the journey from several perspectives of Shelly, of your son Ryder's life. And I love the style of the book with the reflections from the others who were part of Ryder's life and even part of Ryder's journal. How did the two of you come together to write this book? I know that there's a story behind that of how it just kind of uh, seemed to naturally come together. Well, it it wasn't natural. Like in the very beginning, what's kind of funny is that Shelly and I had been lifelong best friends and we had lived apart mainly throughout our adult lives. 
So even when Ryder was going through cancer and, and, you know, the long journey of Shelly's grief, I wasn't there, you know, in the room with her, but I was there connected and talking and, and all of that. And she had kept a journal through the entire experience with him and, she's a very good writer. And a lot of people were saying, you should write a book, you should write a book. And there was even a gentleman who felt that it could be um, made into a film that he thought there was a story there worthy of making a film. But he told her, I really feel that you need to have a ghostwriter who can help take the journal into more of a narrative. And so Shelly called me and she was freaking out because she had no idea who to go to, where to find a ghostwriter. And, you know, I had spent my entire adult life helping people through grief and being a writer. And so as she's freaking out on the phone, I'm sitting on the other end thinking, um, <laughs> could be me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we we stumbled our way through that and ended up working together and hitting the ground running from day one. We were on the phone every day, multiple times for two solid years wow. working through the book. So it's uh, that is quite a story in and of itself. I imagine. And um, I have actually lost several people in my immediate family to cancer and other things. And uh, I wonder what that was like, just on a side note about the process of staying in the process of talking about the loss for so long, Shelley. It was hard to go back through it. Actually, the part about the cancer became the light and the easiest part. And then there was the summer that he was and fall when he was well and stretching his wings and living his life to the absolute fullest. And even the grief part, well, that was when it got difficult because I had to go back through all those feelings and all those moments. And Kathy held my hand and coached me through it. And, um, we came away with, a, I think, a great piece of work. It's a beautiful book. I love how you incorporated all uh, several pictures throughout uh, writer's life and the stories of your family. Uh, it's really uh, was quite nice to read. Shelley, before we get further into uh, the journey of when Ryder was was ill, why don't you talk a little bit about, tell us who Ryder was and his spirit and his personality? Well, Ryder was born an old soul. <laughs> um, he was calm, intuitive, observant, and passionate. Anything he did, he did to the fullest. And that included his dinosaurs when he was a little boy, through water polo in high school, and then ultimately to his guitar. And it was funny because one day, I think during college, he said, or maybe just before college, he said to me, Mom, I don't know what to do with my life. What should I do? And I just said, look in the mirror, honey, it's strapped to your back. <laughs> he had his guitar with him, of course. Uh -huh. Yeah, he, he loved animals and was a gentle soul and really listened. Um, so he connected with people on a deep level. He chose his friends intuitively by their hearts. 
So if he brought them home, I knew they were golden, uh, except for a couple of girls in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't like all of them. (laughs) No. Well, and, and then what did you see in him when, when uh, he was diagnosed? So he ended up being diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer at 22. What did you see in him that spoke to exactly who you knew him to be along the way through that diagnosis? He was a fighter and he calmly took everything the doctor said to heart and cooperated and persevered and was very optimistic. He wrote songs while he was in the hospital, listened to music and watched videos of his favorite musicians and was generally pretty upbeat. He, we never talked about death because neither of us had it as a possibility. You know, the prognosis was very good as the doctor said. And so we worked with that but I was really impressed with the way he handled it. And it was in his calm way, but he, he manned up. You know, and that, that just can make things so much, so much easier. I mean, it's a difficult, difficult time to watch someone that you love uh, go through cancer, whether it's a positive, um, you know, prognosis or not, the attitude and the way that they fight can be so helpful Uh, along the way. Now, Kathy, in your work with families, what is the biggest shift that you see when there is a diagnosis like cancer on a child in a family? You know, I know I do a lot of couple work, but not so much the family anymore. Can you talk more about what you see happen? Sure. You know, I think the natural thing is people immediately go into fear mode because they, it's all about the unknown. They, um, you know, we're, we're human and we fear for the worst. And we worry about how someone other than us is going to handle the pain and the, just all the, the treatment and the things like that. And I think, and I saw that happen with Shelly too, even from afar. You know, she dove in. She was going to hold the world up and make sure that Ryder got well. And, and I think that you have to do that to some degree, but it gets really tricky when you have a spouse and you have other children and people that are wanting information and you're just in overload mode all the time. And, and then I think on top of all that, What I have learned in my work is that people generally have a really difficult time communicating openly and truthfully when tough things are going on. And where I think that ends up hurting people the most is the one who's in the bed dealing with the disease. Because I remember Ryder talking about that he had a very upbeat attitude. He was going to come through it. He knew he would. But there were people who came to see him that he could read pity in their eyes. He could feel that they needed something from him. And he was needing all his energy to fight the cancer. And so there's just so many dynamics that are going on. And um, the people that I feel do the best are the people who find and keep their humor alive. Like I think you need to have 
a way to alleviate all that pressure. And so, yeah, that's generally what I have seen. I often tell my clients, you have to be able to laugh even at the worst situations. There has to be some way to, you know, have a little giggle over something, even if it's... doesn't seem like it'd be funny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the fear of the unknown and funny thing about um, even just an, a hard diagnosis of a, of a severe illness, like not even where there is grief present, but I see a lot of times people pull away from the person uh, like that. You say that they show up and, and you see pity and they almost need Ryder to assure them of something and he needs his energy for himself. It seems that all of that fear and the unknown scares people away. They just don't know what to say right. uh, to someone. Right. Shelly, uh, getting back to you, um, you did have two, well, you have two other children um, who are now, I assume, grown men as well and um, uh, and a husband. How did the family adjust to Ryder's diagnosis? How did they get, how did you all kind of get through that time? Well, I went into super mom mode, Mm -hmm. um, of course. But when Woody, my second son, heard about it, he was away at school and he thought Ryder was going to die. And he started dealing with the idea of losing his brother right away. And my third son, Reed, thought Ryder was going to die on the operating table. And we had that surgery one week after his diagnosis so he carried that with him for months before he finally told me. Oh, so so he just sat in, in panic when his brother was getting operated on right. or just the anticipation of it as well. Right. Yeah. So everybody gets through, um, had a different reaction to it, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in adjusting to it. And then your husband's in the middle of that as well. And, and right. how did, how was he at that point? Cause you went into super mom. Yeah. He was working overtime on frozen as the co-director. And so he came into the hospital. I was with Ryder in the hospital every day he was there mm-hmm. and, Chris would come in and kind of tag team with me at night and would stay until 10 or so and just be with Ryder. Once he caught up because Ryder seemed to be sleeping and started to tiptoe to the door and Ryder just opened his eyes and said, you don't have to go. So Chris was putting in 14 hour days and yeah. He was very calm about it. He is a calm guy and um, he just did his part and then was there for the rest of the family as much as he could be, which was very little. Ah, And how long from start to finish was Ryder's cancer journey? Because it was relatively short for as much as it, you know, cancer is devastating no matter how long it lasts. But how long was his journey? (laughs) It was about nine months. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it didn't feel quick at all. We were in every moment, like the ticking of the second hand on a clock. Yeah. And um, he did three rounds of treatment. And um, it was one week in the hospital, two weeks out. And by about Thanksgiving or just before Thanksgiving, he was declared clear. Now, Ryder and I both thought that was too easy and the (laughs) other shoe is going to drop. 
And in fact, we went to his internist right after Christmas for just routine checks. And he found that Ryder's numbers were up again. And we weren't scheduled to see the oncologist until March, but this was January. Mm. And they got him right back in for four more rounds, which lasted until the end of May. Mm. So we went through it for about nine months. Yeah. And, and that's so exhausting. And um uh, and, and interesting. I, I suppose many people have that kind of experience. I know that was what I had experienced as well. I've lost a mother and a brother to cancer. And oh, um, so sorry. Thank you. And, um, you know, loss is, is tough no matter how, when it is. And um, I had that same experience of like the quicksand, the time it can be short. One was very short. One was longer uh, and drawn out. And it, it feels like time is standing still and yet you're racing against it to get it, to get to the other side of it, whatever that brings, because the person is just at times suffering, um, depending on, on how bad the cancer is. So it, for you had, you had that slowed down response as well. And then even just those things that happen where you think things are, are too good to be true and, and, and turns out to be. So, it did prolong his treatment. And I know, uh, Kathy, I'm going to go back to you. Um, you know, when a family is going through all of this kind of stress, uh, especially a couple over a child, um, even if the child is an adult, the couple often feels a lot of stress. And, and in the work that I've done with couples, I've seen how an illness can really tear a couple apart. And so for someone who may be listening and relating to this and their marriage is struggling as they're also trying to help come together over their child, what advice can you give them? Well, everything for me comes back to communication. (laughs) And, you know, when I think about like Shelly and Chris, they had a solid marriage going into it. I know that she felt that she had to handle a lot of it on her own, but she understood because he was in the, the phase of his, you know, journey with that movie mm-hmm. where he, he, he couldn't do any more than he did, but he did everything he could do to be present with Ryder. That's just the kind of dad and person he is. But, you know, when you have a, a, a marriage that you have counted on, before the child became sick, Mm -hmm. it's really different than if you were already in trouble, (laughs) you know, and, and typically the connective glue is how well you're able to communicate, you know, but I, I have everything that I do with people is such a simple thing. But when I think about what a a couple can do to kind of alleviate that pressure cooker feeling Go for a walk together mm-hmm. because walking, whether you're talking or not, it, it just takes it all away, especially if you can be outdoors, mm-hmm. you know, in nature. The work that I've done in a hospital with families that are going through these, you know, tricky things, um, I had a program where I would walk in a room And I would tell them, you know, I'm here to bring a little creative energy into the room so that you can forget about your fears and your pain and whatever it is you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And the way I do that is I start, all you have to do is if I say to you, what's the number one word in your mind right now, 
what is that? And then I'm a calligrapher and I would kind of make a little piece of art from it. And it would give them time to just sit with me, the family. Typically I walk in a room and the families are all kind of hunched over and they're not talking and they're afraid. And it's just really awkward, especially for the patient. So I just will never forget. And this is kind of perfect way to illustrate what can happen. So this patient, maybe he's an adult, he's Mm 40-ish. But when I say with the one word on your mind right now, he says, poop. (laughs) And so, you know how it is when people are medicated, they can't go to the bathroom. (laughs) Well, the family looked at me, I burst out laughing. And I said, oh, my goodness, I love to illustrate that word for you. So I walked. There was a full room. I walked down to the end of the hall and I do the art and I walk back in and the patient is no longer in his bed and they went, it worked. And so this, this feeling of laughter and he, he was like let off the hook Uh emotionally by the whole thing. So, I mean, a simple technique of just saying, you know, what, if you had to give me one word for something that you really need right now, what would that be? It just takes people out of that moment and helps them come together in a different place and in a different way. Yeah. It gives them permission to take that break. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And that was a, a, a fun story. <laughs> <laughs> Because anybody that's been sick will know <laughs> what that feeling is. <laughs> I know. And Shelly, um, you all came through Ryder's um, uh, cancer journey, right? So it, it it wrapped up after about nine months. And Ryder, is st- he's a young adult. He's 22, 23 years old at this point. And he he's an adventure seeker, it seems like, right? Absolutely. And so he wants to go off to Bali and to stay there for a while. How did you, as his mother, I know you can't like, you can't give permission. He's a, he's a man at that point, but, but how did you come to accept, you know, after having to go through such trauma with your son, because no matter a good diagnosis or not, there's that fear there of like, gosh, what if you finally, he's, you're on the flip side of cancer and he's like, Hey, I'm going to go to Bali and just be there and do what he's going to do there. You know, how did you come to terms with yourself to go, Okay, that I can live with that and and be okay with him on the other side of the world. Oh, that wasn't easy at all. <laughs> I knew it was what he needed. Yeah. But and I really have always valued travel as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And this was a program where he was going to study music and I wanted him around. You know, we'd just been through hell together and I wanted to you know, celebrate and enjoy him living his life. But going to Bali was a stretch. And knowing that it was the best thing for him, that he needed to be with new people that didn't know about the cancer in a new place, in a new culture, studying music, you know, it couldn't have been better. Mm. So, you know, I bit the bullet and I knew that yes was the only answer. Mm-hmm. And of course, we could say no because it was on our dime, oh. but I knew that I couldn't come up with a good enough reason to say no as much as I wanted to. Uh, this was the right thing for Ryder. So mm-hmm. we sent him off with a hug and a kiss, and that was that. 
Uh, and I think that's 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 a wonderful thing for for other people to hear is that you you may really feel strongly one way that you'd want to keep him close to home and give him 10 million other alternatives for studying and 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 uh, getting maybe what he needs fulfilled in that way but really looking at like what would be best for him and it like leaving yourself out of what your needs are out of that equation as you learn tragically, like we don't know how long anybody gets, no matter what you're diagnosed with or how, how life goes, but he ended up having that experience and probably nothing else could have replaced that. No, he came home a new man, Mm. just deep, spiritually advanced. If I had known the future, I don't know if I could have said yes. Oh goodness. Yeah. I mean, really, right. That's a whole other, a whole other decision-making process. And in the end then, so he came back from Bali and, and how long was he home? So he, he goes off to Bali and how long is he there? And then how long is he home before that tragic accident happens? Um, He was in Bali the entire month of July. He left on his birthday, June 30th and came home at the end of July like I said, a new man, just so um, invigorated and enthusiastic about life. He wore a flower behind his ear for weeks because it's a tradition in Bali and um, did a lot of reading on their belief systems. And he was home until, so the end of July until the end of October, he died on the 27th of October. So we did have some good times. Mm. And, and that's right. And in the end, it's, I, I'm sorry. I just, it's, yeah, I get, I got stifled in what to say to that, except because it's so short and I'm so sorry for that loss. And in, in thinking about that, I know the question I was going to ask you is like, did it change something in you? Of course it did. But is there some way that you could talk uh, or speak to uh, for other parents, like something that you would want them to know about surviving that kind of loss? Well, let's see. I stopped thinking about the future ah. and was just in the moment because the future is not guaranteed. And that came home to me in the biggest way I can imagine. And everyone grieves differently, and you need to give them space to do that. My husband wanted to go up the coast on a long bike ride in the the first week. And, you know, he had as much time off as he needed, but he still had he still had responsibilities at work. And I needed to be surrounded by people. Well, I was going to say he still had right a wife and two other sons that that were grieving as well. Right, right. Yeah. And then the other thing I'd like to say is, you know, death is not the end. It's the beginning of a new relationship, a spiritual relationship. And that was brought home to me very quickly um, with messages from Ryder. So that was how I survived. I lived for that. And I spent a lot of time watching his videos of his band playing and uh, looking at pictures. It really helped me. Now, the rest of my family couldn't bear it. But that made me feel close to riders. So that was one thing I did. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I think it's that uh, also speaks to how everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people can, as you said, you can watch videos and it was somewhat healing for you. Others couldn't. Some people can speak of the person. Others can't. 
And I don't know that there's any right way or wrong way to do it, but what works for people and I, and the spiritual connection, would you feel comfortable sharing any stories when you say messages from Ryder? Well, I have one right here to his brother, Woody, if you don't mind my reading it. I'd love it. It was a message that came through a friend. She received these messages in her sleep, woke up and said she saw them like a fax. So she'd go and transcribe them and then the next morning send them to me. This one says, please don't worry about me. This is where I need to be. Mm. If you could see how happy I am, you would not worry at all. Keep the faith. (laughs) I love you. Of course, right? (laughs) And there were just several of those. He visited me in a dream state. Of course, we saw rider trucks all over the freeway that we'd never noticed before. Right. Little things like that. But my my sister-in-law had a time when she was driving home through just a horrific rainstorm. And she didn't know if she was going to make it home. And this rider truck pulled in front of her and basically led her all the way to her driveway. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) And there are so many of those. Yeah. Well, I love that. It Whatever anybody believes about what happens after death, if there's some way for someone to feel connected to the person, this can be so important to their healing. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that you're getting those messages. Mm-hmm. Kathy, um, I think of people that I've worked with um, who lost a child or lost a spouse. Often that's a really difficult place to be when you lose a spouse early as well. And they'll say, you know, am I going to feel like this for the rest of my life? What do you, what do you say to people who are just in so much pain and time is, is passing and they get their days that are good, but they really sometimes still feel like, gosh, am I going to feel like this forever? What do you say to them? Well, you know, in a way, I think a part of that will always be with you. I mean, we don't really get over the loss of someone that we love. But the biggest advice that I have for people has to do with the fact that um, when you can channel your grief into an activity that's meaningful, like Shelly installed a bench um, in Ryder's honor at the top of a mountain where he used to go and play songs and just go to be alone and be with nature When I went through the grief of losing my mom, I wrote letters to her because my mom and I had written letters to one another in life before before email. And it was, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. She'd go to the mailbox and get all excited that there was a letter from me. But um, it's the acts that you put energy into that move you forward. If you don't do anything you will end up healing over time, maybe. I mean, I've had people come to me that were 20 years down the road and they had not healed. Mm -hmm. And so the thing I want to say is that we record everything in our bodies that happens. And when it's grief, it it can get lodged in our heart. I mean, people have broken heart syndrome is a real thing. And it can be brought on by grief. And if you don't have an outlet 
a way to act and and get things out of you, which is why I'm a really big proponent of writing, because it clears you over and over and over again of things that are so overwhelming and so painful. But, you know, logic doesn't mean anything to somebody going through grief. I mean, you can tell them whatever you want to tell them, but there's a truth that lies within them and whether they're ready to hear a bigger truth, it's, it's truly about where they are, you know, at the time. Yeah. And um, you mentioned, you know, writing can be so cathartic for someone so healing. Um, are there any other basic tools that you could speak of that could help someone in navigating their grief? So writing, um, would they be writing to the person that passed or just kind of journaling and letting it out? Um, and, and what else might you suggest for navigating some grief? Well, I the, the program I developed and the only reason I actually put it out into the world is that I was I was definitely devastated by my mom's death and writing to her really helped. But at one point I felt her nudging me to let her write back. And it was it was a really it was a leap of creative faith that I wasn't just, you know, crazy. <laughs> but what happened for me that way is really the same thing that happened for Shelley by reaching out to Ryder through his music and through the stories that she got from people. They're somehow connecting to the love that you feel for that person um, is the most powerful way to heal. And that's why we call the book, leave your light on because Everybody has a light. Every human being on the planet has some light that's very unique about them. And their light made you happy that they were in your life. And seeking that light is the action that I think people need to be focused on when they're going through grief. But, you know, I have a program for people to write haiku, which is a three-line poem. Mm -hmm. And I have people that get to the, the heart of their grief in a whole different way through that program than they do through journaling or through writing letters. So it's really like if you can find the courage and the energy to engage not only with your own heart, but to bring in your loved one to that action, uh, it's just profound what can happen. Right. So using creativity to allow that process to happen. Certainly. Definitely. Yeah. In wrapping up, Shelly, I have one more, uh, one last question uh, for you, because I know that there'll be parents listening that have gone through a similar loss. And one of the things that seems to be a dilemma for people when they are grieving themselves and they have others to take care of is they just don't know how they can be present for, let's say, you know, your other sons and or your partner. How how did you how did you and your husband get through the worst of moments when you just didn't think that you had what you needed to be there for your other for your other sons? Well, I found some backup in friends and family, coaches and teachers who I knew were taking care of my boys. But um, on a personal level, 
I shared my grief openly with them, hoping that I couldn't stuff it down. There was no other way for me. And I'm an expressive person. So out it came. And I justified it by thinking that perhaps I was setting an example for them. They were very, it was personal for them too. Grief is a very personal process and it happens differently in everyone. Mm -hmm. And then I learned to focus on the moment because that's all we really have. You know, there is no future guaranteed. The past can be too painful. So I dealt with them as they, as needed. We did manage to go to um, Michigan and see my uh, Woody's play. And we did some traveling um, because of Frozen. We were able to kind of travel the world. We went to Japan and we went as a family because I couldn't see any other way. I, I couldn't let Chris get on a plane and go away at that point. I couldn't imagine being without him. So the boys went with us and we had, you know, we just had moments connecting as a family. And that was, that was the best I could do. Yeah. And it sounds too, um, in you, in sharing your grief with your sons also gave them the ability, whether they shared back or not, but the permission and the ability to have the language for it. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both so much for, for being with me on this show. Uh, for my listeners, they know that um, about some of the losses, because we talk about my life through some of the stories in this podcast. And I just, I know how hard it can be some days to talk about loss. And so I want to thank you. And I want to thank, thank you, Shelly, for sharing your story. And I want to thank you, Kathy, for being there for your clients and doing the work that you do. I want to remind everybody that the book is Leave Your Light On, The Musical Mantra Left Behind by an Illuminating Spirit. And you can find the book along with all the other books featured on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast on the bookshelf at coachingthroughchaospodcast.com. Kathy, if someone is struggling with grief or even just, I know you help people work through emotional blocks to their creativity, where can they best find you to see more about your work and uh, maybe work with you or take a course? I'm at kathycurtisinc.com and Kathy with a K, Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, Ink, I-N-K. Um, it's all about the flow of ink in my life. <laughs> and um, I would I would be very open to having anyone just check in to learn more about what I do. Wonderful. And we will definitely have links posted to your website in the show notes for the episode. So thank you both ladies so much for being with me on the show today. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you, Colleen. Hey, it's Dr. Colleen here with a quick break to let you know what I've got going on over at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. That's the site where you can get some exclusive items just for supporting the show with a small contribution each month. I've got four levels to pick from, but the best value will be tier two, the chaos crushers tier. For signing up to be a chaos crusher at just $9 a month, the big thing you're going to get is three new self-help recordings each month done exclusively for my Patreon subscribers. You will also get a Chaos Crushing ebook and a shout out on the show for your support. Now, if you're in a position to support just a little bit more, 
There are ways to get even a 20-minute coaching call with me every month. Go over and check it out at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. And if you wish you could support the show, but it's just not in your budget to give a few dollars, that is perfectly okay. I am just glad that you're here with me on this podcasting journey. So let's get back into the show. Most people can't imagine what it would be like to outlive your child. It's a pain I wish no one ever had to feel. Whether it's your child, your spouse, your siblings, or any other loved one, loss can be so painful to deal with. I know this well. And for those who are following my journey, I'm sad to say that Susie and I have lost our brother Dan uh, a few days ago to cancer. He just turned 46 and leaves behind his wife, his seven-year-old daughter, and a stepson. Now, after losing both parents and two brothers by the age of 50, I have to say that the idea that, you know, you don't know how much time you'll get, so you might as well use it well, that seems to be my new mantra, very quickly adopted a few days ago. I'm okay right now, and Susie's okay too. We'll get through this as we continue to just get through what strikes us. (laughs) I'm sharing this because we live in a world where these terrible tragedies happen and so many people grieve in silence, you know, or we don't talk about it or we don't ask others about how they're doing, you know, just to say, how are you doing today? It's okay. You know, ask the person who's grieving And then respect what they say. Some days they are going to be fine and others they're just not. It hits us all different in different ways at different times. There's no right way to grieve. Some show it, some don't, and it's all okay. We're fortunate in that we have a strong support system of people that we love. But if you find that you are relating to this pain, but are feeling like you don't have anyone to talk to, Reaching out to a counselor can really be helpful. And if you haven't done that because you're afraid it either won't work and you'll be stuck with the grief and now having to talk about it all the time, or you'll open up a can of worms of sadness, I promise you that letting the tears out will eventually bring more peace than keeping it all locked up in a way. Please reach out to someone. You don't deserve to go through this alone. Okay, so this was a heavy-duty episode. I promise that next one will be so much lighter. Upcoming, I have someone who will help you and your partner be happy with baby. I've got a rags-to-riches story, a career transition journey, and so many more amazing people coming on the show. I can't even tell you. I think I'm almost booked up for the rest of the year, and I keep talking to more people and going, gosh, I want to have you on the podcast. So, I don't know, maybe we'll start doing more episodes, but uh, for now, we're still on the three-week schedule. Before I go, thanks once again to my editor, Steve Cosio at Podcast Mansfield for helping me get the show produced, and thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time out of your day to join me. On that note, this is the end of the show, and I'm going to leave off with sharing with you that I am looking ahead with my eyes open and and embracing what the future holds. And I hope that you are too. Take care.